global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We are well off our session lows with the Dow Jones Industrial Average now down 250 points as the selling continues. The Dow is down 1.4% at 17,150. Aftershocks of the U.K.'s vote to leave the European Union continue to reverberate. S&P 500 index down 35 to 2,001, a drop there of 1.8%. NASDAQ down 111 points, a decline of 2.4%. The tenure up 31.30 seconds, the yield 1.45%. Gold up 740 the ounce to 1329, a gain of six tenths of one percent, and crude oil down a dollar 4665 a barrel, a drop there of 2.1 percent. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. We're going to get to take a look at the stock market shortly. First, though, we want to take a look at our ETF report brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City realty investments. See them at nria.net. And with our ETF report, our own Catherine Cowdery. The gold rush is on after the U.K. voted to withdraw from the European Union. Gold rallied the most since the height of the 2008 global financial crisis. And that rally was reflected in the ETF industry. GLD, the Spider Gold shares, advanced, and more than $3 billion worth of shares were traded on Friday, about four times the daily average. Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Eric Balchuna says it's been a good year for GLD. GLD is now up to about $11 billion in inflows. That's double any other ETF on the year. It's just the gold kind of year. It has been from day one. And I, with the volume today and the performance, I think we see another $2 billion into gold uh, in the next week, given uh, the trading volume today. So we're talking about $13 billion in flows. That's about a 30% increase in the size of GLD. In addition to GLD, other ETFs rose, including the IPATH S&P 500 VIX Short-Term Futures ETN, or VXX. It jumped 24%. And the iShares 20-plus year Treasury Bond ETF ticker TLT also rose up 2.7%. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. Catherine Cowdery, thank you so very much. So the stock market continues its sell-off break. Brexit angst, to put it mildly, weighing on sentiment a second days of losses, which surprised many people who thought that maybe coming in for a big sell-off on Friday, we would get a little more uh, of a plateauing in here, perhaps finding a bottom, but not yet. Joining us now is Tony Shear. He's Director of Research and Co-Portfolio Manager at Smead Capital Management, about $2.5 billion of assets under management. Joining us from Seattle, Washington. Tony, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kathleen. You feeling the reverberations in in Seattle on Puget Sound today? Uh, <laughs> I don't know who is out there that's not feeling some of the reverberations from all of this. It's uh, well, We're reminded that uh, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets, and we've got some of that going on right now. Well, uh, you think people are already buying? Uh, I don't. I don't today. Oh, you mean you've got the blood in the streets? <laughs> well, we I, got the blood in the streets. So I got I, that part of the sentence wrong. Yeah. So, uh, but just step back for a minute. What for you? And again, you guys always have these longer-term, very interesting plays. So, yet it's not just about the latest news or twists and turns in the economy. It's about longer-term forces. But when you look at the market action, do you get a sense, particularly for the U.S., that this is overdone? Should be ready for a bounce back, or could this continue for a while, Tony? 
Yeah, you know, we do. We do look at the longer term. When we own a stock or buy it, we're looking for truly what it's going to look like in the, you know, longer term, five to seven year type time frame, not the nearer term stuff. Um, so, so you know, really what people should be doing once a more rational kind of existence comes along is, is looking at what the weighing machine is going to play out to be. And we think there are some very good companies that are kind of, you know, being thrown out. And we, we certainly understand the, um, the first reaction, which is the knee-jerk reaction, which is to just get out and kind of sell everything. We understand that sentiment, but that's exactly what you want to play into to, to uh, take positions in your longer-term names. How about banks? It's just ironic, isn't it, that on Thursday around 5 o'clock Wall Street time on the East Coast, we get the results of the bank stress test from the Federal Reserve. All 33 banks in the U.S. that are on that list passed. Morgan Stanley has some question marks over its head. Nevertheless, it passes too. And then... Brexit, yes, we're going to leave the EU, says the UK, and wow, it's not just Italian banks and European banks getting hammered, so are the U.S. banks. Does that make any sense? Is that something you'd look at buying because it's beaten up? Well, you know, we own some of the banks. We we like owning some of the banks, and the banks that we do own are very domestically focused. Um, I think there's a little bit of guilt by association going on when you have the European banks being down again today. You know, 10 to 15 plus percent. It's not really all that shocking for, again, that knee-jerk reaction to have even the U.S. domestically oriented banks down, you know, five or so. There's going to be more news this week that comes on the um, capital ratio levels, and we think it's going to be good news. As you mentioned, that the news was good from last week. They definitely passed pretty much with flying colors. And um, we think they're going to be a major beneficiary of what's going to go on here in the U.S., which is going to be a far stronger economy, in our opinion, than what we think the assumption uh, is looking like right now today. Can you tell us a couple that are at the top of your list or a couple that you own? Well, we own Bank of America, we own J.P. Morgan, and we own Wells Fargo. All of those are very, again, domestically oriented banks. So you take Bank of America, for example, and they have one of the cheapest depository bases uh, here in, in the U.S., they have 12% of the depository base of the United States of America, and we think are well positioned to be lending towards the home buying that's going to happen in the next decade as millennials kind of get their sea legs underneath them. You are also making the case for consumer discretionary companies and more specifically retail. Uh, they have been under some cloud. I mean, we last earnings season, so many disappointments. Why would you buy retail now? Let's start there. Well, the market hates ambiguity. They hate when it's not clear and they don't know what things look like. And right now in retail land, you've got a lot of that, both in terms of the cyclical stuff going on. Everyone has pretty well discounted the fact that the weather accounted for weaker than expected retail sales in the Christmas period and kind of the spring. Um, then you have some secular issues going on as well. The question about how big and how large and how much of a disruptive factor Amazon's going to be, for example. Um, so there's a lot going on right now. We, and, and we think some of it's misunderstood. Ultimately, we think that it is a primal thing, a human thing to go shopping you know, we came across a, a quote that Kate Spade, we don't own the stock, but Kate Spade said that you start playing dress-up at age five and you never stop. Okay, and when you, when you see someone walk into a department store, 
their their necks, their heads become like swivel heads, right? They're looking around to see what they need that they didn't know that they needed. They want to be led towards something new. They want to be led towards fashion. And we've been in this fashion dead zone. And I think that's a little bit underappreciated how much of an effect that's had on, on, on the shopping experience, which is why I think you have mall traffic down maybe more than what would be normal, that, that the secular trends oh, don't you, you mean quite explain. We need to offer women more than another pair of spandex to wear as fashion to get them in the stores? Don't, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's one of my pet peeves. Uh, but what about Amazon? Address that, because I'm with you. I'm that shopper. I don't go looking for a particular thing. I go just seeing what's there, what might be on sale, what catches my eye. I'm more in the moment. Is that opportunistic shopping as opposed to mission-based? And that's why often the online stuff, ugh, I, I often would much rather go in a store. So great example. So do you want to find that next fashion or that next new thing by buying 10 dresses, as it were, and returning nine of them, which is a total pain to, sh- to put them in the packaging tape and FedEx them off and everything else? Or would you rather go to a department store and look around and maybe get some expertise and see what's in fashion? So, no, we think that that is overdone. You might go to Amazon. You, you get the white T-shirt that you need. And, and maybe it's, be, it's certainly going to be beyond that. But we don't think it's going to take over all of retailing, which I think has become almost this monomaniacal idea. And we think that that's gone too far. Okay. As you said, at Speed Capital Management out in Seattle, uh, you – if you're going to buy a stock, it has to be a company that meets an economic need, etc. Who are who? Give us a couple of your picks in the retail world. Well, we do own Nordstroms. We we own uh, we own it. It's in the portfolio. We think that all of consumer discretionary is not a uh, is not an absolute need, right? I mean, it's a, that's why it's called consumer discretionary. But we want to find, and we think we own companies that are that have cult followings. So we own Home Depot. That's not going away. That's going to become very important, even more important in the next, uh, you know, housing boom, which we think is in its very early innings. Mentioned Nordstrom's. We own Comcast. They have totally addicted customers. Um, we own some of the old world media, and those are considered consumer discretionary as well. But we think it's actually a pretty staple-like thing to turn on the news and actually watch, uh, you know, TV. And 41% of America gets their news still by old world kind of news TV uh, uh, through, through the through the television, so we think the advertising dollars are going to persist there, um, and we think those are we like those stocks as well. Just a little bit of time left here. Old World Media. Who do you like in particular? We own Tegna. We like Tegna. They own forty six uh, broadcast stations. They cover you know about a third of the United States of America. Uh, number one, NBC and ABC and or a CBS affiliate. Uh, we think they have a lot of um, draw if you're going to want to advertise nationally. So we own them. We own Gannett as well, okay. which is a very contrarian play. They're they're a news, of course, USA Today. They're a newspaper company and they're a consolidator in the business. Mm-hmm. All right, Tony Shear, thank you so much, Director of Research at Smead Capital Management. They own and still like some of the big banks like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. And he likes retailers despite Amazon. Nordstrom's is one of his top picks. I'm Kathleen Hayes, and this is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio.